out. Hi, honey.
Good morning. I'm doing a couple of announcements here for us today. I'm going to highlight our, our uh, church praying uh, for Jared. He has an appointment in March at uh, Ann Arbor to discuss his next procedure. Uh, have you got any updates on that, or is it just pending? Just pending. Okay. Yep. Uh, Jeff Donovan has an appointment with an eye doctor tomorrow, is it? Okay. We ask that uh, uh, we keep him in, in, in prayer as well. For myself, I have a, uh, an appointment with uh, my doctor. Uh, we're going to discuss some, some things. I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, keep me in prayer that uh, I have as much patience as he does uh, with each other. Uh, today is our communion service. We'll regather after a 10-minute break following the morning worship. And, of course, there will be no evening service tonight. Uh, item 6 states that uh, all children's Sunday school evening classes will be canceled on Sunday, February the 12th. Uh, students will stay with the adult class in the fellowship hall. Uh, we also had half of our annual business meeting last Wednesday, and the second half for our business meeting will be this Wednesday evening and I believe that's going to be primarily electing of uh, positions financial report mission and the, the secretary's and the secretary's report okay some of you folks are here for that all right and item eight <coughs> new TV has been installed in the vestibule and it's we want to stress that this is for uh, folks who maybe uh, all of a sudden are a little distressed they, they can't really sit in the congregation they need to get out and they want to be able to still see the message and hear it or if they have a, a child that's uh, probably having problems uh, we do want to remind you that it is not a coffee clutch. It is not out there to, to gather and, and uh, have a good old time. Uh, we're here to, to listen to the word, and we don't want to be distracted. There is a security aspect to that as well, in case one or two of the men or more of the men have to be involved in something out of the ordinary, uh, a group of people in there, would detract from uh, what we're trying to do. So we'd like you to keep that ever mindful as you uh, utilize the service of that. It's a great idea and we look forward to that being a, uh, a positive function for us so that uh, you're not necessarily dissuaded from even coming to service. So with that in mind, uh, I have one more uh, prayer request for myself. I have a uh, cousin by marriage, married to my uh, cousin, uh, nearly 51 years. She passed away eight years ago, and we've been in touch most of the time. He's come down with stage four lung cancer, and he's presently in an ICU unit in Sterling Heights at the Ford Hospital. He is a Christian man. He's been had a Christian walk for the all of his adult life 
and uh, been a dear brother to me as well as as a as a great influence on my on my other cousins. So I would ask that you would keep him in your prayers. Uh, he understands that it's terminal, and he is just uh, contemplating whether he's going to have any treatment or let God uh, take him naturally. His name is George Renshaw. He's also a World War II and Korean vet uh, in the military, his Navy specifically, which gave us an extra camaraderie between us because we always compared notes about how good the Navy was back then when he was in it, opposed to what the Navy had turned to when I got involved in it. So I don't know how really to take that, but uh, it was always it was always good banter and uh, good relationship between us. So keep George in your prayers as well. And for those, obviously, uh, you know, my clouds are not here today. And uh, Clayton's, you know, keep them in prayer as well. But uh, they, they would be seen back with us at least this Wednesday. Are there any other prayer requests? Terry? I see. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear that. Going to have more pretty soon? How come the guys don't think of stuff like this to go out and have a, a lunch? Maybe we should. Well, it's not enough of us. Jess? And you're going to be there to interact with them? We will not be there. Everything we have had to say as parents is already in the file. And they'll be looking over her entire trial. I see. Her sensitivity medication, all, all the things. And, and that's in March? March 2nd is the March? that they will meet okay. on, her, on her case. Excellent. Maybe we can find some resolution to this. And in the meantime, be in prayer that uh, they do have wisdom to seek it out. Dale, you had a, another comment? Do we uh, a work party? Would you like to schedule that today or Wednesday night or in a week or so? Or how would? I mean, the weather the weather hasn't broken yet. Uh,
Okay, how about uh, a show of hands for anybody who might be available this Saturday? Not a lot, but perhaps we'll do it this Saturday and whoever can show up will show up. What time do you want to be here? You're, you're the head sayer and doer in this, so. 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? Pam? Maybe you guys can do a punch list, too, of what needs to be done and just put it on the board, and as we get those accomplished, we'll check them off. And then whoever shows up can look at that and, and work on that. Saturday morning, 11 o'clock. Be there or be square. Okay. Anything else? Our scripture for meditation this morning is actually a responsive reading from the book of Psalm 31, 15 through 24, and that's going to be page 795 in the Trinity. come to that, please stand with us. <clears throat> Psalm 31, verses 15 through 24. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let, Let those be shine on your servant. Save, Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be parked or put to shame, O Lord. For I have cried out to you, but let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness! But you have stored up for those who fear you. Which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In, in your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to this holy scripture. Please remain standing for our opening hymn. Yeah. 
Oh, I apologize. Uh, we need to begin the service with opening prayer if we can do that. Brother Ed Riffle, would you kindly lead us in prayer?
please be seated. <clears throat> Congregational hymn, who's got one? No takers? Come on, there's got to be somebody out there that's got a congregational hymn they want. Janelle? Okay. 228 in the brown. Okay, and the usual question is, why do you like it? <clears throat> Excellent. Okay. reading for today is taken from the book of Luke chapter 15 verses 21 through 32 and that's found in your pew Bible page 1624 when you come to that please stand with us Luke chapter 15 Verses 21 through 32. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For 
This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these things... All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because his, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. <clears throat> Turn in your hymnals to page 425. Thank you. 
Thank you. Please be seated. for now. I'll take it off if I get too warm. Our scripture text this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 21 and following. Last Lord's Day, we looked at some of the lessons which we may learn from the parable of the lost son. We're looking at this series, the gospel which Jesus preached. We learn that though some are more sophisticated than others, all men are sinners in rebellion to God. The way of the sinner is hard in this life, not an easy road. Thirdly, we learn that repentance is the way back to right relationship to God and a restored and renewed life. What happened? Well, God sent a famine on the far country which had become the younger brother's utopia hideaway. Poverty came in to a man who had made wealth his life. He was firstly awakened to his terrible plight and the sin which he had done against God's law and against his father. But awakening is not repentance. Conviction is not conversion. Many people have good intentions who never carry them out. But at least we can say that he began to think about his misery and how he got there. This young man, however, went beyond resolve. He got up. He went home to his father, verse 20. And we learn that repentance brings us home to God. When a person repents of his sin before God, God will abundantly pardon, forgive him, and restore him. We drew out a number of lessons. Number one, God, like the father in the story, actually looks for his wayward child to repent. He watches for the return to him. Remember the father was looking out the window constantly. And off in the distance on one day. He saw this uh, shadow of a figure. And he recognized that's my son coming home. I haven't seen him in years. But he recognized him. Well that tells us he was looking for his son to come. We learn that when we return to God, there's no lecturing from him, no admonitions, no rebukes, but rather an open and complete forgiveness and acceptance as his son, who is entitled in Christ to all that belongs to Christ. 
So we see him doing what? Well, he gives his son a robe of righteousness. He puts a ring of royalty and authority on his hand. He brings him sandals of the gospel of peace for his feet. He treats him with great honor and respect, even though this son, you know, he's, he flew away from dad years ago. And yet he is re being received with great respect and royalty. Well, today we come to the account of the older brother in this parable of the lost son. What was his reaction when his brother came home? As we come, let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Our Father, we thank you for these accounts that Jesus himself taught the people when he was here on earth. We're thankful for them because we have first-hand accounts of the gospel that Jesus preached. And if we can't believe first-hand accounts, we're in real trouble. I know sometimes there are false teachers about and we should be skeptical of them. Our radar ought to go up, and we ought to wonder if what they're saying matches up with what you say in the Word of God. That's true, and we need to be alert on that. But when the Son of God himself speaks, and we have it recorded for us in Scripture, this is the best information that we have to rely on with regard to what the gospel is all about. So here we come to one of these texts where you explain to us the outcome of the gospel being preached and the different reactions from people, the younger brother and now the older brother as we think on these things. Bless our heart and make us attuned to the word of God. In Christ's name, amen. Today we come to the account of the older brother in this a parable of the lost son. The first thing I need to point out is that this account is part of the story of the lost son. It's a continuation of the story. It shows the reaction of the older brother to the return of his younger brother to the family farm. And this account carries lessons of its own which are vital to our understanding of ourselves and to the kingdom of God. We left off with the return of the young penitent who upon being forgiven by his father became the guest of honor at a welcome home party. Verse, 30, verse 22 and following. The best clothing was provided, a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, the fattened calf, bread and raised for just such special occasions was slaughtered and the celebration began. But the older brother was still working in the fields when all this came about. So as he approached the house, he heard music, he saw dancing, verse 25. Naturally, he was curious, well, what's going on here? So he asked a servant, and the servant told him, verse 27, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. This news, it infuriated the older brother. 
and he refused to join the festivities. So his father went out and pleaded with him. What he got was a dose of pent-up anger from his older son who made quite a complaint. Look at verse 21 and following. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's the younger son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music, saw dancing. So he called out of the, out one of the servants and asked him, what, what's, what's going on? Well, your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. Ooh, the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you have gave, gave me, you never gave me a young goat, not even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Three things are evident in this older son's response. Number one, he is full of self-pity and false appraisal. I have worked my fingers to the bone for you, Dad, and what do I get? Have you ever given me so much as a goat so I could throw a party with my friends? This just isn't fair. We can just see that. This son thinks that he has been treated poorly by his father simply because a welcome home party has been thrown for his lost brother. Now he isn't concerned about his brother's return at all. He is all absorbed in himself and the fact that he has been slighted. I mean, as he sees it. But is that the fact? 
As the older brother, did he not receive two-thirds of his father's estate when his brother demanded his inheritance? Read back, you'll see. Has he not continued to live on the farm, to be housed in his father's home, to eat at his father's table, to clothe himself from the father's sheep? Has he not had the general run of the estate to do as he pleased? Has he not had a social life in which he was able to develop those friends to which he refers? Yet he talks about slaving for his father for years, verse 29. Does he really see no difference between himself and the work he has done on the farm as a part owner of that farm and the servants who are his at his beck and call as equally as they are to the commands of his father. Verse 22, compare that with verse 26. You'll see that he was the manager of the farm. He bossed the servants around and they waited on him hand and foot. But he's full of self-pity. And people who are full of self-pity tend to exaggerate their position and distort the facts as this son was doing. They use words like every, always, never. Every time I try to do something on my own, you always criticize me. Never once have you praised me or said thank you. That's the older brother in our story. Could it be you too? Or me? In our discontent with our life, do we sometimes blame God for not being fair to us, for not giving us the same opportunity as others in the family of God? Could there be just a little bit of bitterness present in your heart that causes you to miscolor the facts and paint the picture black? Secondly, this older brother expressed his self-righteousness. He said to his father, here it is, verse 29, All these years I have never disobeyed your orders. Ooh. Never? Never is another one of these uh, generalizations which are used by people to make themselves appear in a better light. It's a continuation of the distortion of reality, but self-righteous people seem to have no problem attaching the word never to the word disobedience. Never disobeyed. Never disobeyed. This man is an adult son who has been reared by his father since childhood. And in all of those years, you mean to tell me that he had never disobeyed his father's orders. He's like the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus told him to keep the commandments of God, he responded, 
Here it is. All these I have kept from my youth up. Now either such a person is greatly ignorant of the extent of God's commands or he's overly confident in his own abilities. The God who cannot lie tells us there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. Pretty wide sweeping indictment. This older brother, full of self-righteousness, gladly brought up the matter of his younger brother's immoral escapades with prostitutes in the far country, verse 30. But, I ask this, has he not ever looked upon a woman lustfully and thus committed adultery within his heart in violation of the law of Christ? Matthew 5, verse 28. He accuses his brother of squandering his inheritance, of being a spendthrift, verse 30, all of which was true. But isn't his greed and his jealousy showing when he keeps bringing up this business of the fattened calf, which his father slaughtered to welcome home his lost son? He says that, verse 39, brings it up again in verse 30. I mean, <laughs> Ask yourself, are there no cattle left on the ranch? Is the family farm bankrupt because one cow has been slaughtered for a feast? I mean, even the younger brother knew that there was food aplenty on the farm, verse 17. That's one of the reasons why he went back home. Why? Because in the far country, he wasn't getting any food. He wasn't eating. He was down at the pig trough, and all, all he could see is the pigs eating the pods of fodder that they were given for food, and he wasn't about to eat that. This older brother was pleased with himself, and he justified himself for being angry with his father and for being jealous of his brother. Might this be you this morning? Might this be me? Are you generally pleased with your conduct? And displeased with every other person's conduct? Do you know how to live the Christian life, but all the rest of us are miserable failures? Are you condescending and censorious in your attitude towards sinning brethren in the church? Do you never sin? Do you think that your way of doing things makes you a better person than others? Is your standard of morality on a higher plane than the people of the congregation? Is your speech always seasoned with grace? Are your thoughts the best they can be about the people with whom you worship and work? Do you look upon the leaders of the church 
with contempt? Do you say to yourself, I think I could do a better job than those guys? If any one of these questions applies to you, you have a problem with self-righteousness. And if several of these questions hit home, you're consumed with self-righteousness. And if that is the case, Jesus warns you, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 9, verse 13. The calling and the election of God notwithstanding, you cannot be among the number of the elect as you consider yourself a notch or two above the general Christian population. I'm better than the rest. And I say that because the basic assumption of the scripture and the teaching of it is that no one is exempt from sin. We are all sinners. Doesn't matter what your position is in the church. The third thing this older brother expressed was contempt for his younger sibling. The contempt just oozes out of his mouth. Verse 30. When this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. The word this, brethren, as it is used by the older brother, is used with contempt. We do the same thing. The wife might say, Well, this husband of mine had the audacity to pick his teeth at the dinner table the other night when we had guests over. She's angry. She's embarrassed at her husband's uncouth manners. So she says, not my husband, but this husband of mine. Men do the same thing. Well, this wife served stringy ham which stuck to my front teeth. What was I supposed to do? Spend the night grinning with a piece of meat sticking out of my teeth? But should we be speaking contemptuously to or about the people we say we love. Maybe that was the problem with his older brother. Maybe there was no love lost between the two of them as they grew up together. But I think the problem runs deeper. And I believe it is related to the older brother's belief that he has lived a righteous, obedient life while his brother has lived the life of a profligate. But he's the one that gets rewarded. <laughs> I mean, dad honors the rebel. That just doesn't compute. The older brothers of this world know nothing about Grace, 
That is why he was jealous of his younger brother's welcome home party. In his mind, his brother hadn't earned such a welcome, but he had, oh yeah, he had. He looked upon the fattened calf as something the father should have given to the son who had demonstrated a life of obedience, a life of loyalty. So when the father gave away the prized calf to throw a party for the wayward and disobedient brother, he was filled with contempt and scorn. And he says, this son of yours. (coughs) How would you have handled this older brother? Had you been the father in the story? Would you have done what this father did? Okay, what did this father do? Well, firstly, the older son would not come into the house to his father and participate in the party. So, the father went out to him, verse 28. He treated this pouting son in the same way he treated his wayward son when he was far off in the far country and he ran to meet him, verse 20. So here is a father who loves his sons, not for what they are in terms of their compliance with the house rules, but for who they are. Well, who are they? Well, they are his children. And he loves them equally. He is just as disturbed that his older son has not come to the party as he is that the wayward son had not stayed home with the family but ran off to the far country and got in all kinds of trouble. So he goes out to meet his son. As he did so, secondly, this father pleaded with his older son. The Greek word here is parakaleo. I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but kaleo is the Greek word for called. You can hear it, the English in it coming from there. Kaleo, called. And para means alongside. So it means to beseech, to encourage, literally to call someone to your side. Very compassionate when you think about it. We don't do that with strangers, but we do that with family members. Oh, so good to see you. Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever. And we hug them. Haven't seen you in such a long time. Tell me what's going on in your life. Da, 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 da. This was an attempt by the father to reason with his son. And the substance of his reasoning is given in verse 31. Look, to address his older son's self-pity and falsification of the facts, he tells him, My son, you're always with me. And 
everything I have is yours. Not just the fattened calf. You get it? Everything I have is yours. And to counter this older son's self-righteousness, he says, we, we had to celebrate and be glad. He's basically saying to this older son, son, <laughs> you can't see that not being glad over a lost family member coming home, you can't see that that's a great sin? That one dead in trespasses and sins, now alive in Christ, is an occasion for joy and celebration, no matter what is past? And finally, to challenge his son's contempt, when he said of his brother, this son of yours, The father responds by saying, this brother of yours. Ooh. Have you thought of that? Yeah. He's your brother. Not just my son. He's your brother. We're not told by Jesus whether the older son responded properly to his father's entreaty. I don't know. We're just left with the reasoning behind the father's actions towards the younger son and what should have been the response of the older brother if he had been thinking straight, and if he had had the proper love for his family ties. It's just, God just kind of hangs it out there for us to contemplate. So what then is the meaning of this section of the parable? I mean, how does the action of the older brother speak to our own hearts? To understand these closing words of the story, we have to go to the opening words of the story. I call it the preamble. Look at verse 1 and following. Now tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. To hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man... Notice the contempt. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This story is about two classes of people in the world. Those who are sinners and know it. And those who are sinners and don't know it. The younger brother who came to his senses in the far country after living a life of sensual pleasure and financial abandon represents all those people who at some point in their life they sit down and they honestly assess their misery and they see their heartache 
and they own it as their own sin. I'm living this way. I'm receiving this because of the way I live. And being awakened to their sin, they come home to God who welcomes them (coughs) with joy and celebration. The older brother, he represents the Pharisee type people who are pleased with their own performance in the things of God. They do not see that they have strayed from the path at all because through it all they have been in the church with the people of God. They maintain their religion in spite of the temptations to ditch it and live in the world. They are the loyalists. They are the purists. They are the self-righteous who have nothing from which to repent. And these same people have trouble with a God who is generous with his forgiveness and magnanimous with his mercy. They don't like that. They want God to punish sinners, not save them. Let them go to hell where they belong. They certainly do not expect God to treat these gutter people like royalty and to invite them to dine at the table. They cannot understand all the hubbub over some whoremonger coming out of his immorality and now being treated as though nothing wrong ever happened. Well, it did happen. That's the way they think. So why treat the person like he were some saint. Brethren, sadly, I say sadly, this is more the picture of modern Christianity than we would like to admit. There are thousands of professing Christians who dislike a free and full proclamation of the gospel of grace They're always complaining that ministers are throwing the door too wide open. They fear that preaching grace and not law will lead to licentiousness among the converts and that holiness in the main will decline if grace is not tempered with the restraint and warnings of Mount Sinai. The law. Got to preach the law once in a while. But our Lord represents God as a father who, verse 20, is filled with compassion. He portrays God being no less than this all the while his wayward son is away. And when his son returns, there's no slavery imposed upon his son, even though his son requested it. Look at verse 19. Dad, just just make me a slave. Just make me a servant. The word is doulos, the lowest slave in households. Dad, just make me a slave. I don't deserve any more. And instead, the father forgives him freely 
with no strings attached. And he forgives completely so that the wayward son is restored as a son with all of the privileges retained. Verse 22. <laughs> he is not tethered with an electronic tracking device, lest he wander off again in the future into forbidden paths of sin. No, he is fully loved, fully forgiven, fully restored, and that means that he is fully trusted to live his new life in a sober, well-disciplined manner that will be a testimony to the grace he has received. Having once wandered off into the far country in rebellion, he is not subjected to the law of God to keep him in line in the future. It is his love of God that will keep him in line, not a sense of sheer duty. The law of his father orders, the orders, verse 29, never kept this son from disobeying. That didn't work. Nor was it the law which restored him, but it was his father's compassion. It was Father's grace. It was His Father's forgiveness. By contrast, the law of God is everything to the older brother. It's the law to which the older brother appeals when seeking to justify himself as an obedient son. Notice he says, All these years I have been slaving for you, Dad, and never disobeyed what? Your orders. Orders. Verse 29. Slaving for you? Hmm. Is that how this son has viewed his obedient service to God? Well then, if it was slaving, has the obedience been willing? Has it been freely offered or begrudgingly extracted? first and foremost commandment of God is that we are to love God with all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our minds, and all of our heart so that any service viewed as slavery must, by definition, be tainted by sin. At the very least, the sin of resentment. I didn't want to do this, but... I did it anyway. Obedience to God's law, brethren, does not make us holy. Nor, as we see in the older brother, does it necessarily make us conscious of our sin. It is grace that makes us holy. It was grace that awakened the younger brother to his sin. As he sat in the far country contemplating the farm homestead, what was it that he thought about? We don't have to guess, he tells us. Verse 17. 
how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Food to spare. Not just food to meet the bare necessity of subsistence, but food to spare from a generous father who not only treated his immediate family in this way, but his hired hands as well. And it was his father's grace that broke this young man's willfulness, not his father's rules. So what do we do with the self-righteous of our day? I mean, they're so smug and full of pride that we almost have a backlash reaction. <laughs> we withdraw. We, we don't want to be around people like that. Rightly so. We wonder why they can't see their sin when it is readily apparent to all of us as onlookers. What did God as the Father in the parable do? He went out to the older brother and entreated him to come into the family of God along with that brother of his that he viewed with such contempt. This is all the more amazing when we remember that the older brother stands for the Pharisees and chief priests of Jesus' day. Verse 1. It is true that these people were avowed enemies of Christ, even as this older brother acted more like an enemy than a brother to his younger sibling. And it is true that Jesus on numerous occasions went toe-to-toe -to -toe with these teachers of the law over their harsh views and cruel demeanor towards the very people of Israel over whom God had placed them as spiritual leaders. You can read about it in Matthew 23. He takes the Pharisees to task. But here we see the heart of God even towards the self-righteous. He entreats them. He pleads with them to abandon their anger, their jealousy, their self-vindication, and to join the ranks of the redeemed. Have you ever thought that self-righteousness is the sin of these people's hearts? which has blinded their eyes to the truth of God, just as greed and covetousness and a lust for the things of the world blinded the eyes of the younger brother to the good things in God he left behind? I mean, sin by any other name is still that which causes men to stand aloof from God. Sinners can be in the far country, thousands of miles away from home, or they can be right in the church sitting next to God in the pew, so to speak, and still be distant and lost from Him. The Bible does not portray one sinner as being more virtuous than another or of being in a more favored position to respond to right to God. No. All men are lost apart from the entreaty of God. 
the self-righteous brother in the father's house and the younger rebel son sleeping in a house of ill repute are equally estranged from God. The one loves himself more than God and the other loves pleasure more than God. Both are oblivious to their sin. The gospel Jesus preached is for any and all sinners. What is more, it saves the self-righteous as well as the notorious sinner. Remember, there was a tax collector and a cheat among Jesus' disciples. His name was Matthew. And yet God saved him, and he wrote one of the gospel accounts. Also, there were a couple of hotheads named James and John, who had little compassion for the Samaritans who snubbed the Lord. They said to Jesus, How about us calling down fire from heaven to consume them? Luke 9, verse 54. And there was doubting Thomas. And there was Peter, the one who denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. All of these men, rather blatant and obvious in their pettiness and sin. <coughs> and they were men who in time owned their failures, perceived their guilt, when confronted with the holiness of Christ. But then there was also Nicodemus who, as a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night. And he heard the gospel that a man must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. John 3 verse 3. You and I would not have given him the time of day, let alone the time of night when we want to relax. But it was to Nicodemus that Jesus said that immortal truth, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 And Nicodemus was challenged by Jesus to come to the light and have his evil deeds exposed and forgiven. And Nicodemus went home with that witness in his mind and eventually it touched his heart. And it was Nicodemus who defended Jesus before the Jewish council who were violating their own law by condemning Jesus before even allowing him to speak. You can read about it in John 7, verse 50 and following. And it was Joseph of Arimathea, another Pharisee, who refused to consent to the decision and action of the council to condemn Jesus. You can read that in Luke 23, verse 51. And he later went to Pilate and requested Jesus' body after his crucifixion. 
It was Joseph along with Nicodemus who prepared spices and wrapped Jesus' body in cloth strips according to Jewish custom and buried him in a new tomb. John 19 verse 40. And then to use Paul's own words of a man born out of due season, Jesus Christ appeared to him when he was known as Saul, the persecutor of Christians. And this Pharisee, Saul, was full of self-righteous indignation against the Jesus people of his day. And he felt justified in pursuit and execution of all those who were disciples of Christ. How many Christians Saul killed? I don't know. If it was one, it was one too many. Yet God came to him and entreated him and drew him to himself. So Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Saul of Tarsus, all three self-righteous Pharisees, older brothers living in the father's house, so to speak, just as estranged from God as their younger counterparts living in the streets. But God did not abandon them to their self-righteousness, and neither may we. The gospel, brethren, that Jesus preached and the gospel which saves sinners is for the up and outs as well as for the down and outs. And we have not done our task to dismiss the older brother as hopeless. Oh, you're hopeless. As Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Brethren, this is the hope of the gospel that Jesus preached. Up and outs, down and outs. The Spirit moves upon the hearts of people as he sees fit. And all are in his perusal. Every kind of person is in his perusal to save, to redeem. This was the gospel that Jesus preached. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. Praise you the fact that salvation is for anyone whom you choose and whom will repent and come to God in faith. It's not just for elites, nor is it for those poor street people that sleep on the sidewalk. It's for everybody. The gospel is for everybody whom you choose. And we pray that we would learn that truth so that when we're giving forth the gospel, we are not second-guessing God. 
We are not saying, oh, that person will never respond. I'm going to move on. You, we don't know that. The wind blows wherever it wants. So is it like with the Holy Spirit. Those born of the Spirit. Those are, that's His work. Ours is to give the, plant the seed. Plant the seed. Plant the seed. Let the work of the Spirit do as He pleases. Lord, we pray that you will bless us with these truths and understand and appreciate the gospel that Jesus preached. Amen. Amen. We're going to do a closing hymn, then we will regroup for our uh, communion celebration. So the hymn is 30, 57 in Trinity. Five seven in Trinity.
We'll take a 10-minute break and regather when you hear the music for our communion service. <laughs> 